0: Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode 191, Alexander Suvorov. Yes, I'm back. After taking a hiatus for the past year and a half, I decided to revive my Russian History podcast. While I won't have a rigorous schedule of every week or guaranteed every other week, I will promise at least one and usually two episodes a month. I'll be going back to reviewing the rulers of Russia backwards. The last one I did was Peter the Great, so the next one after this will be his half-sister, Sophia. Intermittently, I'll be looking at other parts of Russian history that I haven't covered in the past. If you have a suggestion, please come on over to the Facebook page, Russian Rulers History, or head on over to my blog site, RussianRulersHistory.com. And, of course, if you see fit, make a donation. Nothing is too small at the blog site. All will be appreciated. Also, this is not my only history podcast, as many of you know. I'm concurrently putting out Battleground History, where I pit the most exceptional people and events against each other in a tournament-like program to see who or what is the greatest person or thing in world history. You can find it on all the major podcatchers like iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Come on over and see what else I'm up to. Now let's get into the military genius, the undefeated Russian general, Alexander Suvorov. The last generalissimo of the Russian Empire, Alexander Suvorov, was born on November 24, 1730, in Moscow to a noble family that was initially thought to come from Novgorod. The military was part of his family life as his father, Vasily Suvorov, served as a general-in-chief and a senator. There's been much debate about the lineage of Suvorov's with Alexander claiming that his family traced back to a Swedish immigrant in 1622, but many other historians have cast a little bit of doubt on this. From what I've gathered, it's more likely that they trace back to Tver, although we will never really know for sure. In Alexander's early years, he was a very sickly child. His father felt that military life would be too hard on him, and he would likely serve his country in civil service. The young Suvorov became a voracious reader due to his extensive family library. He also learned many languages, including French, German, Polish, and Italian, as well as his native Russian. Alexander was also fascinated by the writings about military history and strategy. Over the years... Because he was bound and determined to serve in the Russian army, he exercised religiously to build up his strength and to prove his fitness. A nearby neighbor, someone who I will certainly do a podcast episode on, General Abraham Petrovich Ganibal, saw in Suvorov promise so he convinced the young man's father to allow him to join the army, where he spent the next six years in in the Semyonovsky Lifeguard Regiment. His first engagement in battle was during the Seven Years' War, which raged on between 1756 and 1763. By 1762, higher ups in the military recognized his brilliance and made him a colonel at the age of 33. Shortly after that, he was made a commander of an army to fight General Kazimir Pulaski's army in Poland, where Suvorov defeated his adversary and took control of Krakow in 1768. In that same year, yet another Russo-Turkish war broke out. Of course, theres if you know, there were nine in all. Suvorov did not see action until 1773, but when he did, it was spectacular. He achieved numerous victories over armies, sometimes far more massive than his. But he had a penchant for going out on his own, which angered those above him in rank. He was put on trial and sentenced to death for, quote, unauthorized actions against the Turks. But Empress Catherine the Great refused to allow it, stating, winners cannot be judged. Alexander's next big test was at the Battle of Kozluka on June 20, 1774. Suvorov along with Field Marshal Mikhail Kaminsky, took 8,000 Russian men to face the Ottoman army of 40,000, led by Abdul Rezek Pasha the ensuing battle became a classic example of what made Suvorov such a genius. Seeing the Ottomans trying to cross the Danube, he launched a lightning strike at them, and the rout began. The Russians lost 200 men, while the Turks lost 3,000. According to Michael Rank in his book, History's Greatest Generals, Ten Commanders Who Conquered Empires, Revolutionized Warfare, and Changed History Forever, quote, In the course of these battles, Suvorov implemented battle tactics that he personally crafted. These maneuvers eschewed complex drills and emphasized a more basic approach that relied on precision, aggression, and direct assault. It was an unconventional approach, but both bold and effective against enemy forces. He also emphasized a rapid attack over patience, judgment of eye, speed, and attack are the basis of victory, he commented. I mention Rank's book because it has one of the most complete treaties about Alexander Suvorov. Here is a man who was one of the greatest generals in human history. Suvorov won every single battle he commanded for a record of 93 wins with no defeats. Yet, in my extensive library of Russian history, there's a number of the books that never even mention his name. There are exceptions like Ryazanovsky's and Steinberg's A History of Russia, Henri Troyat's biography of Catherine the Great, and Duffy and Ricci's book Czar's. So time to end that rant and head back to Suvorov's career. By the end of the Russo-Turkish War in 1774, Alexander was made a lieutenant general. What is striking about Suvorov from this time on was his respect by his own soldiers, Alexander was what we call a soldier's general. His reputation was one where he made sure that his men were paid on time, which was the exception rather than the rule. They were well-fed and well-equipped, something that generals in the early 20th century in Russia seemed to have forgotten. Post-1774 until 1786, Suvarov served in the Kuban, the Crimea, the Caucasus, Finland, and parts of Russia. In 1786, he was named General of the Infantry after his time in the Caucasus. During his time of service, Alexander put to pen a number of works about military tactics, like the Science of Victory and Suzdal Regulations, along with the Rules for the Kuban and Crimean Corps, Rules for the Conduct of Military Actions in the Mountains, and Rules for the Medical Officers. Suvarov's light began to shine even brighter during the next Russo-Turkish War, fought between 1787 and 1792. His victories at the Battle of Kinburn and Ochkov, as well as the successful siege of the previously thought to be impenetrable fortress of Ismail, were testimonies to Alexander's brilliance. His tactic at Kinburn to quickly counteract the Turks was based on his tenet that, quote, a strong pursuit gives no time for the enemy to think, takes advantage of victory, uproots him, and cuts off his escape route. At the siege of Ishmael, Suvorov ordered the beginning of the artillery bombardment of the city to commence at three AM on december twenty second, seventeen eighty nine, ending at five thirty AM when his troops, numbering about thirty thousand, stormed the city, which was garrisoned by forty thousand Turkish soldiers. In the ensuing battle the Ottomans lost twenty six thousand men, with the Russians suffering only forty three hundred casualties of which 1,800 were killed. Suvorov's next assignment would be his most controversial, which was in 1794 to crush the Polish rebellion. He quickly dispatched the rebels in a battle that I'm not even going to try to pronounce correctly, but we'll give it the old college try anyway, the Battle of macy where the Russian captured the Polish commander-in-chief, Tadeusz Kościuszko. The controversy comes from the attack on the city of Praga by a Cossack contingent under Suvorov. The Cossacks slaughtered around 20,000 civilians, but we're not sure whether this was under orders of the general or not. Whatever the case, he was blamed by many for the slaughter. His response was cold. It read, quote, "It is very difficult to do one's duty. I was considered a barbarian because at the storming of the Praga 7,000 people were killed. Europe says that I'm a monster. I've read this in the papers, but I would like to talk to the people about this and ask them, is it not better to finish a war with the death of 7,000 people rather than to drag it on and kill 100,000? Ever the pragmatist, and Alexander Suvarov was not one to embellish things, as his note to Empress Catherine was short and sweet after the capture of Warsaw later in the campaign. Quote, hurrah, from Warsaw, Suvorov. That was it. Shortly after the end of the Polish War, the now 64 year old decided to retire at his estate in Konchanskoy, in part because Catherine had died in 1796 and her pomp and circumstance son Paul had taken over. Paul loved drills and parades, something that Suvorov despised. That and Alexander was a terrible politician, unable to deal with court intrigues. There was another storm on the horizon that forced Paul to recall the general in 1798, and that was the emergence of Napoleon Bonaparte. Suvarov was called upon to defend Italy from French forces, which he did with his usual flair and ruthlessness. He won battle after battle against some of Napoleon's best generals, like Jean Moreau and Etienne Macdonald. Suvorov pushed the French out of Italy and had his sights set on marching to Paris. The Russian allies, though, Great Britain and Austria, did not warm up to the idea of an army led by Suvorov and it could head into the heart of Western Europe. His new order was to head to Switzerland to protect the Austrians there. Yet again, despite terrible odds, Suvorov was able to defeat a number of French armies and cross through the Alps in a manner which reminded many historians of Hannibal's march 2,000 years earlier. His men's crossing through a 9,000-foot mountain pass was extraordinary, as he was low on supplies and food. During the march, one-third of his army was lost. But because of the amazing feat of bravery and audaciousness, Suvorov was given the highest rank possible in the Russian military, that of Generalissimo. He would be the fourth and the last person to be given that title. Still, it would not last long. He returned home in 1800, not to the promised hero's welcome, but to a humiliating stripping of his rank, command and title by the impetuous Paul. This broke the man, as he thought he deserved far more than he got. Alexander Suvorov, on May 18, 1800, died, because in part, as Rank puts it, Quote, the general was heartbroken and worn out from a lifetime in battle. Retirement did not suit him well, as he was listless without his raison d'etre of commanding military forces. Another reason that is bought out in the chapter about Alexander is that his home life, what little there was of it, was loveless. An example Rank gives is a letter to Suvarov, that's, excuse me, that Suvorov sent to his wife. In it, he only said, quote, alive, in health, serving, Suvarov. Reading that, you can understand why on his tombstone it says, just three words, here lies Suvarov. The general, who is one of the only military leaders in world history to die undefeated, joining the ranks of those like Alexander the Great and Khalid ibn al-Walid, Alexander Suvarov is the least known of the greats. Today there is a military decoration in the Russian Federation in his name known as the Order of Suvarov. Again, quoting Rank, Among military historians and the Russian people, his reputation as a commander was second to none. The man whose father thought he would never amount to anything proved indispensable to his country. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I am ever so happy to restart the podcast. It was because of all the fans on the Facebook page, Russian Rulers History Podcast, that I decided to get back into the game. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of your support. Your love of Russian history rekindled mine. Thank you for that. Join me next time when I pick up where I left off in my retelling the story of the rulers of Russia, when we discuss the Regency of Sofia, Peter the Great's half-sister. So, until next time, До свидания и спасибо